بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected brothers and sisters assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh as has been announced today's talk is actually a commentary on the famous hadith of abu darda radiyallahu an related to the virtues of knowledge and the people of knowledge A number of authors of hadith have related this narration in their collections. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, Imam Abu Dawood, Imam Tirmidhi, Imam ibn Majah in their Sunan, as well as many others. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relates that Kathir ibn Qais, a tabi'i, he says that he was once seated with the companion Abu Darda radiyallahu an in the masjid of Damascus. When a man approached him who had arrived from the city of Medina, And he said to him, Oh Abu Darda, I have come to you all the way from Medina. So Abu Darda radiallahu anhu said to him, Oh my brother, what brings you here? So he said, I have come to you because I have learned that you relate a particular hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Sayyidina Abu Darda radiyallahu anhu said to him, Have you come for any trade? So he said, No. He said, Have you come for any other need? Has nothing else brought you here? So he said, No. He said, Have you only come in search of this one hadith? So he said, Yes, I've only come all the way from Medina. seeking this one hadith that you relate from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Abu Darda radiyallahu anh then said to him, 
فإني سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول من سلك طريقا يطلب فيه علما سلك الله به طريقا إلى الجنة وإن الملائكة لتضع أجنحتها رضا لطالب العلم وإنه ليستغفر للعالم من في السماوات والأرض حتى الحيتان في الماء وفضل العالم على العابد كفضل القمر على سائر الكواكب وإن العلماء هم إن العلماء هم ورثة الأنبياء وإن الأنبياء لم يرثوا دينارا ولا درهما وإنما ورثوا العلم فمن أخذه أخذ بحظ وافر أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم So after this initial conversation Abu Dardar when he said to him, I have only come to you from the city of Medina in search of this one hadith that you relate from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So then Sayyidina Abu Dardar said to him, Verily I have heard Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Man salaka tariqan yatlubu fihi ilma Whoever treads a path Seeking knowledge therein, Salakallahu bihi tariqan ilal jannah. Through it, by it, Allah shall carry him on the path to jannah. Wa inna al malaikata latadaru ajnihataha ridan litalib al ilm. And verily, the angels spread their wings. in satisfaction and in pleasure at the student of knowledge, at the seeker of knowledge. Or they place their wings. وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْتَغْفِرُ لِلْعَالِمِ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ حَتَّى الْحِيْتَانُ فِي الْمَاءِ And indeed, All who are in the heavens and on earth, even the fish in the sea, they seek forgiveness on behalf of the alim and the scholar. In indeed, the scholars are the successors to the prophets. They are the heirs of the prophets. And verily they did not inherit dinar and dirham. Rather they only inherited knowledge, ilm. فَمَنْ أَخْذَهُ أَخْذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ So whoever inherits this knowledge فَمَنْ أَخْذَهُ So whoever takes it, verily he has taken a great share indeed. This is a simple translation of the hadith. And inshallah, I'll comment on different parts of this hadith.
first of all, the a quick summary of what I've just related. Kathir ibn Qais, a tabi'i, one of the students of the companions, radiyallahu anhum. He says that he was seated with Sayyidina Abu Darda radiyallahu in the masjid of Dimashq, in the masjid of Damascus. And whilst he was in the masjid, a man approached him who informed him that he had travelled all the way from the city of Medina. Far away. In those days, it was close to a month's journey by horse or camel, maybe less by horse, but by camel or by caravan, it was approximately a month's journey. So the man travelled all the way from Medina to Dimashq, Damascus. And Abu Darda radiallahu asked him, now what brings you here? So he said, I have heard that you relate a hadith. He didn't mention plural a hadith, he mentioned a hadith, a particular hadith. I have heard that you relate a particular a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So I've traveled to you to listen to that hadith from you. So Abu Darda radiallahu said to him, have you come for any business, for trade? No. Have you come for any other reason, any other need? He said, no. Has anything else brought you? No. So you have come all the way from Medina to Damascus only to hear this one single hadith? He said, yes. Well, in that case, and then he related the hadith to him. And what's a beautiful hadith. And the hadith speaks about knowledge, its virtue, the people of knowledge, their virtue. And not just their virtue, but also their responsibility. And it speaks about traveling for knowledge, embarking on a journey for knowledge. And the virtue of such a journey and such an undertaking. So Abu Darda radiallahu related a hadith to him of that same virtue. The virtue of travelling for knowledge, undertaking a long journey in order to gain knowledge. And he had done that all the way from the city of Medina to Damascus. So Abu Darda radiallahu gave him the glad tidings of that such a hadith and such a virtue and reward. And he deserved it. So what is the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He says, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَطْلُبُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا Whoever treads a path, whoever plods along a path, seek knowledge therein. Ilm. سَلَكَ اللَّهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ Allah will carry him by it. On the path to Jannah. Whoever embarks on a journey of learning and they are sincere in that pursuit, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up the doors of knowledge, light and guidance for them. And Allah will carry them and propel them along the path of virtue till Jannah. 
In a verse of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَدْ جَاءَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ نُونٌ وَكِتَابٌ مُّبِينٌ يَهْدِي بِهِ اللَّهُ مَنِ اتَّبَعَ رِضْوَانُهُ سُبُلَ السَّلَامِ وَيُخْرِجُهُمْ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ بِإِذْنِهِ وَيَهْدِيهِمْ إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ Allah says verily, a light and a clear book have come to you. Through this light and book, Allah guides those who follow Allah's pleasure, who seek Allah's pleasure. Allah guides them to what? On what? Subul as-salam. Allah guides those who seek and who follow His pleasure along the paths, not one path, but along the paths, plural, of peace. And Allah extracts them and removes them from darknesses, again plural, to the light. By His command and permission, by His leave. And Allah guides them to the straight path. So, There are many paths. Allah guides whoever seeks Allah's pleasure and is sincere towards Allah, is sincere in their relationship with Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide them, not along one single path, but subul as-salam, along many different paths, all of peace and all ultimately leading to Jannah and to light and to guidance. And Allah will remove them and extract them from not one darkness, but again, plural, from many darknesses. And Allah will bring them into the singular light of religion, of deen, of Allah. And Allah will guide them to the straight path. So whoever embarks on a journey of learning, whoever travels in order to learn, and it doesn't have to be physically traveling, but again, just a voyage, a path, a journey of learning, in sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will guide such a person to Jannah. So much so that in a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi in his sunan, from Anas bin Malik radiyallahu anhi says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ خَرَجَ فِي طَلَبِ الْعِلْمِ فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ حَتَّى يَرْجِعِ Whoever goes out in the search of knowledge, then he is in the path of Allah until he returns. And this tradition of going out for knowledge, of traveling for knowledge, of embarking on a journey, on a voyage for, for learning and for knowledge, of struggling for ilm, for knowledge, of making sacrifices for knowledge. This tradition, this sunnah, is not just of the ulama. It's also the sunnah of the anbiya alayhim wassalam. It's the sunnah of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, and it's actually the tradition of the Anbiya alayhim wassalam. 
we learn today was Friday and it's a prescribed sunnah and a virtuous deed to recite Surah Al-Kahf on Friday, every Friday. Muslims have been encouraged to recite Surah Al-Kahf, specifically on Jum'ah. And one of the famous stories, and a very long story, of Surah Al-Kahf, is the story of Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Khidr, alayhi salam. The pious servant of Allah. And that whole story is based on knowledge, on traveling for knowledge, on going out in order to learn. And who was traveling to who? Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam of all people, he was the one who was traveling for knowledge. The background to the story is, I won't go into too much detail because we, we don't have much time, but the background to the story is, as is related by many authors of hadith, including Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, in his sahih, and others, is that Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam was asked, who is the most knowledgeable amongst the people? Who is the most knowledgeable on earth? Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam replied, I am. And in one narration, he was asked, Is there anyone more knowledgeable than you? And he replied in the negative. He said, No, there is no one more knowledgeable than I am. Now, on the part of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, this was a correct answer. Apparently. Because he was the messenger of Allah. He was the Prophet of Allah. And there is no one more knowledgeable than the Prophet of Allah amongst his people. And Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam was unaware of anyone else who genuinely had more knowledge than him. He was after all Kalimullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke directly to him. He conversed with him. He had that very personal connection with Allah Azza wa So his reply was correct as far as Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam was concerned. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wished to demonstrate to him that no, there is someone who has more knowledge than you. For Allah has bestowed that knowledge on him. When Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam learnt of that, he was humble. He wasn't humbled, but he himself was humble. And his first response was, Oh Allah, is there any way of reaching this servant of yours whom you, on whom you have bestowed knowledge that you have not given me? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, yes, there is a path to him. And then Allah gave him instructions. He had to follow a certain route. He had to witness certain miracles. Or after all of which, he would then reach and meet this pious servant of Allah, whom Allah had given knowledge. 
That is the basis of the story of Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Khidr which is related in Surah Al-Kahf. So that whole journey was a miraculous journey. He took his, his attendant and student, Yusha ibn Noon, with him. And they both traveled. They carried a basket in which there was fish. And miraculous thing, things occurred on the journey. The fish even leapt out of the basket and burrowed its way along the shore and leapt into the sea. And when it leapt into the sea, it created a tunnel into which it leapt so much so that the water didn't touch it. And Musa alayhi salam was asleep. Yusha witnessed that, and he made a note that he would relate this marvelous and miraculous event to Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam when he awoke. But shaitan caused him to forget it. And they carried on journeying for a very long time. And they were reclining, again, well they were sleeping next to, uh, reclining on a boulder. And that's where this miraculous event took place. Despite travelling for so long, it was only when he reminded him of the fatigue and hunger of the journey. And he said, bring us our food. He said, oh, now I remember. This is what happened. So Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam said, that was our meeting place. So they retraced their steps. And when they arrived there, it was a very strange conversation. That the whole story was, wasn't normal. There were miraculous events, but even the conversation was strange. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam and Yusha ibn Noon, when they arrived back at that rock, they saw a figure reclining against the rock. He realized that this was Khidr, the, uh, the person he was looking for. When he came and greeted him, and he said, Assalamu alaykum, the reply from Khidr alayhi salam was, وَأَنَّا بِأَرْضِكَ salam." And where is there? He said, peace be on you. And his reply was, where is there peace in your land? And then Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam said to him, هَلْ أَتَّبِعُكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُعَلِّمْنِي Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam was a prophet of Allah, the one who was, in his own words, most knowledgeable. In Mi'raj, he was very bold. Very bold. He told Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أَرْنِي أَنظُرْ إِلَيْكَ Oh Allah, show me yourself, I wish to look at you. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam in Mi'raj, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam returned, and this is mentioned in Sahih Ahadith, Sayyidina Musa alayhi, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam returned with the gift of salah. And he met all of the Anbiya alayhi wasallam, but no one said anything to him in these terms. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam said to him, what did Allah give you as a gift? And he said, he gave me 50 salawat, 50 prayers for the day. He said, I have tried my own people. Your people will not be able to keep up and, with these prayers and perform them. Go back to Allah and get them reduced. So the Prophet wasallam went, they were reduced by five. He returned. Sayyidina Musa salam asked him again. He said, go back to Allah and have them reduced. And he did that nine times. 
He kept on going back and having them reduced. So Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, mercifully, was bold enough to tell the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam repeatedly, go back and get the prayers reduced. Go back and get the prayers reduced. And even at five he said, go back and get the prayers reduced. It's a, it's a long hadith. But Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam was very bold. Such a bold prophet of Allah, such a bold messenger. Bold enough to say to Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, that why did you do what you did? For you we were removed from Jannah. <coughs> so he was bold with the Anbiya alayhi salam. He was bold, he, was, he spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a certain way. And yet here on this occasion, he finds himself before someone whom he has never met, who he does not know. All he knows of him is that Allah has bestowed certain knowledge on him, which Allah has not given him. And yet this bold messenger of Allah, when it came to learning, look at his humility. He says to this same Khidr alayhi salam, هَلْ عَلَىٰ أَن تُعَلِّمَنِي مِمَّا عُلِّمْتُ رُشْدًا May I follow you on the understanding that you will teach me of that which you have been taught in guidance. And what was Khidr alayhi salam's reply to him? Remember, he is the messenger of Allah. He is Kaleemullah, Musa alayhi salam, the prophet of Allah, Musa alayhi salam, the one with whom Allah converses directly. So what's his reply to him? قَالْ إِنَّكَ لَنْ تَسْتَطِيعَ مَعِيَ الصَّبْرَ وَكَيْفَ تَصْبِرُ عَلَى مَا لَمْ تُحِتْ بِهِ خُبْرَ He said, you will not be able to remain patient with me. And how can you remain patient over that which you, cannot, which you do not understand? Musa alayhi salam pleaded with him. ستجدني إن شاء الله صابرا ولا أعصي لك أمرا. He said, "Look, you will find me patient, and so much so that I won't ever disobey you. I'll follow your command." قال فإن اتبعتني فلا تسألني عن شيء حتى أحدث لك منه ذكرا. He wants to follow him in order to learn from him. And how can anyone learn without asking question? How can anyone learn? Without asking questions. Yet Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam was told clearly that if you follow me, do not do not ask me about anything until I speak to you of it first. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam accepted all of these stringent conditions. Something happened. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam asked him. He said to him, I told you not to ask me. My mistake. Something else happened. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam asked him again. Couldn't contain himself. He said, see I told you, you would not be able to remain patient. Now do not ask me again. If you ask me again, we will have to part. Third time something immense happened. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam asked him a third time. Khidr alayhi salam said to him, right, 
This is the time of parting between us. You cannot remain with me. The Prophet says, Rahimallah Musa, may Allah have mercy on Musa alayhi salam. Had he remained patient, we would have learnt much more. But this whole journey was miraculous and very strange, of a different world altogether. Indeed, it was of a different dimension and a different world. But the point which I wish to make is journeying, being humble, making sacrifices. Expending an effort in order to learn. This is not just the sunnah of the ulama of Islam. It's not just the sunnah of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum. It's the sunnah of the anbiya And that's the whole basis of the story of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, which we would have read today in Surah Al-Kahf, in our weekly recitation on Jum'ah. And when it came to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, Abu Darda radiyallahu he, the narrator of the hadith, he adopted that example himself. Abu Darda radiyallahu anhu was a man of great knowledge. He was one of the Qurra. If you recall, last week I was speaking about the term Qurra amongst the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. And the word Qurra does not just mean reciters. As we understand them, the word Qurra means reciters, but for the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum in their time, the term Qurra, which singular qari, meant a scholar of the Qur'an. And not just of the words or the recitation, but rather the meanings. And he, they were generally the scholars of the Qur'an. One of those scholars was Sayyidina Abu Darda radiyallahu He was poor, and he was actually taunted for his poverty. And for his apparent devotion to knowledge. But he himself says that I attempted to do trade, business. He said, I attempted to, I attempted to do tijara and ibadah. Trade and worship. But I realized that I could not combine, successfully combine, tijara and ibadah. So I left tijara and I devoted myself to ibadah. And learning. He was a man of great knowledge. He was a scholar of the Qur'an. One of the famous scholars of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum of the Qur'an. And we learned at the beginning of the hadith that he was in Damascus, in the masjid. In that same masjid of Damascus, every morning after Fajr Salah, he used to have gatherings, halaqat, circles. All of these students, what he would do is, after Fajr Salah, he would, he would, upon completion of his Fajr Salah, he would recite one juz of the Qur'an. And all of these students would gather around him, encircling him and listening to him reciting one whole juz of the Qur'an. And then after listening to him, they would divide themselves into groups of ten. And they would all read to each other. And they would imitate and copy his recitation and his tilawah. 
And not just tilawah, but he would teach them also. On one occasion, remember this is after Fajr Salah. On one occasion he said, count the number of students who were there listening, to, encircling him, and then dividing themselves into small groups of ten, listening to his Qur'an and learning the Qur'an amongst themselves. And you know what the number was? 1,600. Not so few, 1,600. More than 1,600. So he was a scholar and a man of the Holy Qur'an. And he was a master teacher of the Qur'an. And yet he himself says, that if I was to forget one verse of the Qur'an, if I was made to forget a single verse, and then I had no way of retrieving that verse or regaining it, except from one person who was in Birkul Ghimad. And Birkul Ghimad is on the southern coast of Yemen. And where is he? In Damascus, he said, I would travel all the way to Birkul Ghimad on the southern coast of Yemen in order to retrieve that one single verse from him that I had forgotten. I, although he never had to do it, he expressed his willingness to travel across the whole Arabian Peninsula and the whole desert, all the way from Damascus to the southern coast of Yemen, to Birkul Ghimad. Birkul Ghimad was a place that was often referred to in their poetry and in their language because it's like it was on the southern coast. Just like we say in English, John O'Groats to Land's End. So these are the two furthest places. So similarly, the Arab poets and the uh, Arabs in general, when they would refer to the southernmost tip of the Arabian Peninsula, they would normally say Birkul Ghimad. So he says, and he was in Damascus, he wasn't in Medina or Mecca, he was all the way up in Damascus. He said, if I was made to forget a single verse, and I had no way of retrieving that verse, except traveling all the way to Birkul Ghimad, and retrieving it from someone there, I would do so. His willingness to undertake such a long and arduous journey, for the sake of one single verse of the Holy Quran. And that's exactly how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were. Knowledge is not easy, without doubt. We speak about the virtue of knowledge. And here in the hadith, uh, the first words of the hadith are, Abu Darda himself, radiyallahu anhu, relates, that I heard the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, say, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَطْرُبُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا Whoever treads a path, seeking knowledge therein, سَلَكَ اللَّهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ Allah will carry him by it along the path to Jannah. But... Not Gaining knowledge is not easy. It requires sacrifice. It requires expense. It requires an effort. It requires a great undertaking. Sincerity of intention, purity of motive. And even travelling and journeying. It means sacrificing one's time, one's leisure. Allah says in the Qur'an, لَن تَنَالُوا الْبِرَّ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا تُحِبُّوا You will never attain virtue, you will never attain righteousness, until you spend of that which you love. And it doesn't just mean wealth. 
That's why in Islam, charity isn't just about wealth. Charity is about spending of that which we love and which we hold dear. Which means giving of our time, sharing our time, sharing our wealth, sharing our emotion. All of this is charity. This is why Rasulullah has taught us the meaning of charity in that hadith. We haven't been told just to drop a few coins in a can. We've been told to share, share food, share a date, share a plate, share a meal, share everything. Share of our time and our emotions. When we go to visit someone who's sick, they may be wealthier than us. And we would not be able to offer them anything in monetary terms. We may not be able to even help them medically. The most we can do is go and say a few good words. But even that visit is an act of sadaqah. So in Islam, charity is not just about sharing wealth. It's about sharing everything. Sharing that which you love. That's why here the verse says, you will never attain piety and virtue until you spend of that which you love. Now we love wealth. But for those who are relatively comfortable... We are, we may have excess wealth. Our time is precious to us. So we might be, we might be willing to absent-mindedly and dismissively give a few pounds to someone in charity, even if it means getting them off our back. That is not charity. So in a way, we buying our relief and comfort and peace of mind and a few moments of our precious time, we buying that by giving a few pounds away. If our time is so precious to us, and indeed our time is precious to us and valuable, if we do not spend of that time which we love, we have not attained true sadaqah and charity. And we will never attain true virtue and piety. So similarly, when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to sacrificing things, it means sacrificing those things that we love, our leisure, our time, our comfort. Only then will we be regarded as one of those who embarks on that journey, on that voyage, on that path of learning knowledge, so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will carry us to the path of Jannah. Along the path of Jannah. That's how the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu were. And look at the sacrifice and the effort that Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam made. The same for the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu. Abu Darda radiyallahu anhu said the same. The Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu said the same. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi both say, in the, uh, both relate in the collections, that Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, who was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the scholar and sage of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu. A man of great knowledge. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu was once in Hajj. And there, Someone approached him and said, O Amirul Mu'mineen, what do you say of a man 
who recites the Qur'an in a way which is different to the others. This was known as a... So, Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu became extremely angry. And he bellowed at the top of his voice. Who is this who dares to read in a manner different to the others? And the man said he is in Kufa. All the way in Iraq, in Kufa. So Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu became extremely angry. And the words of the narration are, he became so angry that he began to bloat in anger. In his rage, he actually ballooned. And he grew large. And he, filled with awe, he frightened and terrified all of those who were around him. And then he bellowed, who is this who dares to read in a manner different? Now who could challenge Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu And the man said, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. When Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu even in his extreme anger and intense rage, heard the name of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu he suddenly calmed down. And then he said, if Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is reading in the manner that you describe, then he is deserving and entitled and worthy of reading in that manner. A man like Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu anhu, who had the utmost respect for Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu he dispatched him to Kufa and he sent a letter with him saying, O oh, people of Kufa, I wanted to enjoy the company of Ibn Umm Abd, this was the name of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, more than you, but I have given you privilege and preference over myself, of the company of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So he was a man of great knowledge. That same Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi, they both relate, that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, I have memorized more than 70 surahs directly from the mouth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And if I, and there is no verse in the Qur'an except that I know when it was revealed and where it was revealed. And if I knew anyone who was more knowledgeable than I am of the Holy Qur'an and camels would reach him, I would travel to him to gain that knowledge. But there was no one. And Shaqiq says that I would go and sit in the gatherings of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And people would relate these words of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And no one amongst the companions would reject the words of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu They recognize his knowledge. But the point I wish to make is, what did he say? If I knew anyone more knowledgeable of the Qur'an than I am, and camels would reach him, I would travel to him. These were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They would be willing to travel for the verses of the Holy Qur'an. For a single verse of the Qur'an like Abu Darda radiallahu anhu, or Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, despite being scholars of the Qur'an themselves. And when it came to hadith, Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu was a young companion. He was very young. In fact, of the... 75 people who gave bay'ah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on Laylatul Aqaba. 
on the night of Aqaba. In the final year before the Hijrah, when the 75 people from Medina came and they pledged their, uh, they gave their oath and their bay'ah to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa inviting him to Medina, Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu anhu was present and he was the youngest Sahaba radiyallahu anhu amongst all of them. Of all the 75, he was the youngest. According to some reports, he was only 16 years old at that time when he gave bay'ah in Laylatul Aqaba. He was very young. And being young, he was able to enjoy the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and move around him because he was he wasn't burdened by family responsibilities or anything else. Like Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, they were very close in age. Like Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, he was able to spend time with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as a young teenager. And he learned, he learned. And that's why he is one of the most prolific narrators of hadith. Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu an narrates approximately 1540 hadith. 1540. Whereas some of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, like Umm Habiba radiallahu anha, she only narrates four. So Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu anhu, despite being a prolific narrator of hadith, who narrated 1540 hadith, and after the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he, he was in Medina, do you know, even despite the presence of much older sahaba radiyallahu anhum, he was actually the mufti of Medina. Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu anhu. Despite his position, <coughs> Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi alayhi and others all relate, that Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu anhu, Abu Dawood also relates this hadith. Sorry, Imam Ahmed ibn Hamdah. Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu anhu, he says that I heard about a companion in Sham, in Damascus, who was relating a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which I did not know, which I had not heard. So this Mufti of Medina, this companion, this young scholar of the companions, and this prolific narrator of hadith, Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anh, he traveled all the way from Medina to Damascus. And when he arrived, he, he made inquiries there, and he found out that the, per, the companion in question was Abdullah ibn Unais radiallahu anh. So he went to his house, And he said to the doorman that tell Abdullah ibn Unais that Jabir has come to see you. So the man went in. So he said, Jabir, with Jabir. And he must have said something else together. So he asked, Jabir ibn Abdullah. So the doorman came out and he said to Jabir ibn Abdullah, Jabir ibn Abdullah. And he said, yes. So the man went in and he informed him, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Unais radiyallahu anhu came running out. And they both hugged and met, met and hugged. And then he said to him, I've come to, him, come to you all the way from Medina to Damascus, merely to listen to one hadith which you relate from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which I have not heard. So Abdullah ibn Unais radiyallahu anhu related the hadith to him. 
We began with the hadith of Abu Darda radiyallahu anhu, in which a man, a tabi'i, came from Medina to Damascus to listen to one hadith from him. And when Abu Darda radiyallahu anhu said, whoever treads along the path, he related the hadith, that whoever treads along the path of knowledge, Allah carries him along the path to Jannah. This is what he meant. These are the examples amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. There are many examples. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, a very beautiful hadith. Again, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relates this hadith in his Musnad. That Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, he was the first host of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Medina. When he first arrived, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam stayed with Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu for a few, for, for a short while, for a number of days. He was very close to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. After the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said that there is one hadith which I have heard from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he knew the hadith. But apart from me, there is no other companion alive who actually heard that hadith, except for Uqbat ibn Amir. So he knew the hadith. He said, there is one hadith which I have heard from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But besides me, there is no other companion alive who has heard the same hadith, with the exception of Uqbat ibn Amir. And he was all the way in Egypt. So Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu traveled by camel all the way from Medina across the Arabian Peninsula through the Sinai Peninsula and into Egypt. And there, it's a long story there, he eventually went, he was shown the house, he went to Muslim ibn Makhlid al-Ansari who was the governor of the region and he told him why he, when he came, he saw him he came out, he, he ran, when he arrived at the house of the governor of Egypt at the time, or the governor of that region. So he was told that Abu Ayyub al-Ansari is here. When he heard, he ran out. He was a companion himself. He, he ran out to meet him. He hugged him. And he told him that, I have come to hear one hadith from Aqbat ibn Amir, which I have heard, but he's the only other one who's heard this. So I want to corroborate the hadith by him. So he said, someone show me where he lives. So he was taken, a guide was sent with him, and he was shown that to the house of Uqbat ibn Amir. When Uqbat ibn Amir radiallahu anhu was told that Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu is here, because they, respect, they respected him immensely, he came running out, and again he hugged him. And Uqbat, uh, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiallahu anhu said to him, that I have come all the way here, for I have heard one hadith relating to concealing the faults of a Muslim. And I believe that there is no one besides you and me who have actually heard this hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa meaning who is present now. So, Uqbat ibn Amir radiallahu anhu said, indeed, and then he related the hadith. And the hadith is, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Whoever conceals a Muslim 
the fault of a Muslim, whoever conceals the fault of a Muslim, or an error which he has committed, then Allah will conceal his faults on the day of judgment, on the day of resurrection. So when Abu Ayyub al-Ansari radiyallahu an heard this hadith, he loudly exclaimed, Allahu Akbar. Can you imagine, he traveled all the way from Medina to Misr, to Egypt, to listen to one hadith which he already knew. Now there are many other examples, I won't go into any more details or provide you with any more stories, but here we have Jabir ibn Abdullah, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, who actually undertook these, these journeys. We have the willingness of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and Abu Darda radiyallahu anhumah to travel in order to learn one single ayah or anything of the Holy Qur'an. There are many examples. Imam Khatib al-Baghdadi rahmatullahi has written a book called Ar-Rihlatu fi Talab al-Hadith. He was a scholar of hadith himself of the earlier centuries. And the, the book is traveling, journeying in search of hadith. And it's, it's a book with many narrations, i.e. stories, with chains of narration of various scholars, companions, tabi'een, the students of the uh, companions who traveled in their search for hadith. But do you know what the remarkable thing about this book is? The whole collection in the entire book is about all of those people who traveled not to search for hadith in general, but only traveled, who traveled only for the sake of a single hadith. So the whole book is about people who traveled for the sake of a single hadith. So these stories such as Jabir ibn Abdullah, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, radiyallahu anhum, and others are all in there for those who traveled for the sake of one hadith. So this is the effort that they made. And this is what the hadith ultimately, speak, uh, the hadith ultimately speaks of. مَنْ سَلَكَتْ طَرِيقًا يَطْلَبُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا Whoever plods, treads along a path, seeking knowledge therein, then Allah will carry him along the path of Jannah. The virtue of knowledge is great, without doubt. Knowledge is a person's true wealth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, يُؤْتِ الْحِكْمَةَ مَنْ يَشَاءَ وَمَنْ يُؤْتِ الْحِكْمَةَ وَمَنْ يُؤْتِ الْحِكْمَةَ فَقَدْ أُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا وَمَا يَذَّكَّرُ إِلَّا أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ Allah says, يُؤْتِ الْحِكْمَةَ مَنْ يَشَاءَ He gives wisdom, hikmah to whomever he wishes. وَمَنْ يُؤْتَ الْحِكْمَةَ فَقَدْ أُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا and will not take heed except those who are possessors of intelligence. I.e., this fact that wisdom is true wealth, and wisdom here means knowledge, wisdom, ilm, is true wealth. This fact itself is only understood by those who are wise enough, those who are intelligent enough. Knowledge, ilm, is a true wealth. And this is why in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari, in his sahih, and by Imam Muslim, in his sahih, from the same Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he says, the Prophet ﷺ said, لا حسد إلا فثنتين 
رجل آتاه الله مالا فصلته على هلكته في الحق ورجل آتاه الله حكمة فهو يقضي بها ويعلمها Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said there is no envy except in two things. A man whom Allah has given wealth, and then he has enabled him and empowered him to spend that wealth in the truth. And the second thing, so the first thing that we should never envy wealth, we should never envy people of wealth. And if we are ever to envy someone their wealth, then only if Allah has blessed them with wealth and wisdom, and therefore they spend that wealth in good. Then we would envy them, not for the wealth, but for the virtue and the reward of charity. And the second thing, Prophet ﷺ said, there should be no envy except in these two things. And the second thing is, a man whom Allah has given hikmah, wisdom, and therefore the man, he judges by this wisdom, and he teaches this wisdom, knowledge. That's the only thing we should ever envy. And Abu Darda radiyallahu and the same companion, who is a narrator of this beautiful hadith, he says himself, and reflect on his words. He said, he says, remember he said, I used to trade. So I tried to combine trading and worship. Tijarah and ibadah. But I realized that I could not combine tijarah and ibadah, trade and worship. So I abandoned tijarah and devoted myself to ibadah. He says, very beautifully, he says, the people of wealth eat and we eat. They drink, and we drink. They dress, and we dress. They ride, and we ride. And they have excess wealth, which they look at. And we look at. But... The accountability of that excess wealth is on their shoulders and we are free from it. See, the rich and the poor, there's only so much a person can eat, drink. You can only clothe yourself with one suit of clothes. And you can ride. People can travel from one place to another. When the Prophet ﷺ passed away, you can travel from one place to another on any means of transport. When Rasulullah ﷺ passed away, Imam Bukhari relates a hadith from Amr ibn al-Harith He says, when the Messenger ﷺ passed away, he did not leave behind a single dirham or a single dinar or a single slave or a single maid. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam only left behind his white mule and his weapons and a piece of land which he himself had given in charity to the traveler. This was the state of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
when he left this world. And by that time, he had conquered Mecca, Medina, and the whole of the Arabian Peninsula. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari in his sahih, that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa passed away, his armor wasn't in his possession because it had been deposited as a mortgage and a security for a loan of 30 sa'a, which is about 100 kilos of barley, which he had purchased for his wives from a Jew who lived in Medina. That was the estate of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Abu Darda radiallahu anhu is saying that the rich eat, we eat. He was saying about himself. He was poor. He said the rich eat, we eat. The rich drink, we drink. The rich dress, we dress. The rich ride, we ride. No matter how great and grand your mode of transport, you can still only sit in one place. And whether you're riding a very expensive car or a very cheap car, you're still occupying the same amount of space with that same body. It's a matter of perception. And at any one time, you can only ride one mode of transport. You can only wear one suit of clothes. You can only eat so much. You can only drink so much. And then beyond all of that, everything is excess. The most you can do is look at it and marvel. So you can only feed yourself so much, and then the rest you just look at. You can only sleep in one bed, and the rest, all you have to do is just look at and marvel at. But you feast your eyes with your wealth, and others also feast their eyes with, their, with, their, with your wealth. So if you've got a good car, you're sitting in the inside, but everyone else is getting a good view of the outside. But... As Abu Darda radiallahu anhu says, they eat, we eat, they drink, we drink, they dress, we dress, they ride, we, dry, we ride. And their excess wealth, they look at their excess wealth, and we look at it too. But we won't be questioned about it by Allah, they will be. What wisdom. So, there should be no envy. If there is any envy, it should be in knowledge. It should be in the Qur'an, it should be in ilm, it should be in hikmah and wisdom. As the Prophet as Allah says, يُؤْتِ الْحِكْمَةَ مَنْ يَشَاءُ He grants wisdom to whomever he wishes. And whoever has been given wisdom, he's been given great good. And in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, from Sayyidina Mu'awiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, radiyallahu anhuma, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ وَإِنَّمَا أَنَا قَاسٍ وَاللَّهُ يُعْطِي He says, Whomever Allah wishes to bless with good, whomever Allah wishes to grant good, what does He give him? Does He give him wealth? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا Whomever Allah wishes to give, whomever Allah wishes good for, يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ Allah grants him the understanding in religion. And then he says, وَإِنَّمَا أَنَا قَاسِمْ I am but a distributor. وَاللَّهُ يُعْطِي Allah is the one who gives. It's a longer hadith. So wisdom, this is the virtue of knowledge. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of knowledge and the people of knowledge in the Qur'an. And as Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, whoever treads along the path of knowledge, Allah will carry them along the path to Jannah. And then the next part of the hadith. وَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ لَتَضَعُ أَجْنِحَتَهَا رِضًا لِطَالِبِ الْعِلْمِ That the angels, they are so pleased with the pursuit of a seeker of knowledge. They are so pleased with the effort of a student of knowledge that they actually spread their wings in joy. And they place their wings in joy. In humility. So the angels place their wings and spread them in humility, out of joy and expressing pleasure and happiness at the pursuit and the effort of a seeker of knowledge. That's a student of knowledge for a talibul ilm. But what of, what's of the people of knowledge and the scholars? Prophet sallallahu says, وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْتَغْفِرَ وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْتَغْفِرُ لِلْعَالِمْ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ حَتَّى الْحِيْتَانُ فِي الْمَاءِ That verily, all who are in the heavens and the earth, even the fish in the sea, they seek forgiveness on behalf of the alim and the scholar. Even the fish, and as Allah says, تُسَبِّحُ لَهُ السَّمَاوَاتُ السَّبْعُ وَالْأَرْضُ وَمَنْ فِيهِنْ وَإِن مِّن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَلَكِن لَّا تَفْقَهُونَ تَسْبِيحَهُمْ Allah says, The heavens and the earth and all who are therein, they hymn His praise and they glorify Him. وَإِن مِّن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ And there is nothing save that it hymns the praise of Allah. وَلَكِنْ لَا تَفْقَهُونَ تَسْبِيحَهُمْ But you do not understand their praise and their tasbih. So even the fish in the sea, they praise Allah, but along with their praise and their tasbih and their glorification of Allah Azza wa Jal, they actually, can you imagine, the fish do istighfar on behalf of an alim, someone of ilm. Then the Prophet ﷺ says, وَفَضْلُ الْعَالِمِ عَلَى الْعَابِدِ كَفَضْلِ الْقَمَرِ عَلَى سَائِرِ الْكَوَاكِبِ وَفِي رِوَايَةٍ كَفَضْلِ الْقَمَرِ لَيْلَةَ الْبَدْرِ عَلَى سَائِرِ الْكَوَاكِبِ And the virtue and the superiority of an alim over an abid, a person of knowledge over a worshipper, just a person of ibadah, is like the superiority of the, of the moon and in one narration, Laylatul Badr, on, on the 14th night, over the rest of the planetary bodies and stars. That is the difference between the alim and the abid. However, lest someone say that, oh, we're just praising ulama, I did say at the very beginning that the hadith speaks of the virtue of the ulama, but he also speaks about their responsibility. And I'll mention that in a moment. So far we've learned ilm, 
the virtue of ilm and the people of ilm. And even the Qur'an is replete with verses about the virtues of the people of ilm. Allah says, قُلْ هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ إِنَّمَا يَتَذَكَّرُ أُولُ الْأَلْبَابِ Say, are those who possess knowledge equal to those who do not possess knowledge? Can they be equal? Are they equal? Only those who possess intelligence take heed. In another verse, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ Only those of Allah's servants, of Allah's servants, only the ulama truly fear Allah, the people of Ilm. And Allah told the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, that when you are in the gathering with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and there they were gatherings of knowledge. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amunu, idha qila lakum tafassahu fil majalis, fafsahu, yafsahillahu lakum. O believers, when you are told to create space in the gatherings, then create space, Allah will create an expanse for you. وَإِذَا قِيلًا شُزُوا فَانْشُزُوا And when you are told, rise, rise. What was this background? The Sahaba radiallahu anhum in their eagerness to keep the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and in their eagerness to learn from him, they would always remain with him. And sometimes uh, the consideration for his personal needs and his privacy escaped them. So he in his bashfulness and humility, he would remain seated there. He wanted to go, he needed to go, but in his bashfulness he would remain seated. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhu would remain seated with him. So Allah azza wa jal. Allah would always take care of his Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He wouldn't have to say anything. He in his modesty and bashfulness didn't say anything. So Allah revealed verses of the Qur'an. That when you are told, he would say to them once, Okay, leave, I need to go. But they would remain seated. So Allah says, وَإِذَا قِيلًا شُزُوا And when you are told, when it is said, Rise from shuzu, Rise and disperse. But Allah said it so beautifully that Allah understands your desire for knowledge. But if you follow this command and if you observe the etiquette of the gathering of knowledge and if you observe that etiquette towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you learn more by going away than actually staying. Why? Allah says, and when it's said, rise, fanshuzu, rise, yarfa'illahu alladheena amunu minkum walladheena utul ilma darajat. Allah will raise those amongst you who have believed and those amongst you who have been given knowledge by many ranks and grades. The Qur'an is replete with verses about the virtues of knowledge and the people of knowledge. شَهِدَ اللَّهُ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّاهُ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ وَأُولُ الْعِلْمُ قَائِمٌ بِالْقِسْتِ Allah wants to testify that there is no God except Allah. And he says that that testimony is given by who? Allah says, Shahid Allah. Allah testifies that there is no God except He. And the angels testify. The people of the heavens. And who of the people of the earth testify? ilm And the people of knowledge. There are many other verses, we don't have much time, so I'll suffice with this. But th- these are the virtues of the people of ilm. Ilm is so great, it's our real treasure. It's our real treasure. That's r- a real blessing. As the Qur'an says, as the Hadith says, 
Whomever Allah wishes to bless, Allah gives them fiqh of religion, understanding of religion, hikmah, wisdom, and the ilm of Allah's religion. The ilm of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa And then Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said towards the end, إِنَّ الْعُلَمَاءُ هُمْ وَرَثَةُ الْأَنْبِيَاءُ That the ulama are the successors, they are the inheritors, they are the heirs of the prophets alayhim They follow in their footsteps. And the Prophet ﷺ continues. They did not inherit dinar and dirham. And in the, this is a narration of Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, and in the narration of Imam Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah and the others, the words are, And the Prophets, they did not leave behind, they did not bequeath. Dinar and dirham. And indeed, both meanings are correct. The Prophets, السلام, when they left this world, they did not leave behind treasures and wealth. Dinar or dirham. Any gold sovereign coins or any silver sovereign coins. They did not leave behind such worldly treasures. They only bequeathed and left behind knowledge. And the true ulama who are the heirs of the messengers السلام, they have also inherited not wealth, not dinar and dirham, not treasure, but they've inherited the ilm and the hikmah of the Anbiya And that's why he says, لم يرثوا دينار ولا درهم. They did not inherit dinar or dirham. وإنما ورثوا العلم. Rather they inherited ilm, knowledge. فَمَنْ أَخَذَهُ So whoever seized it, or seizes it, I knowledge, أَخَذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ Then he has seized a great share. This is the real treasure. And indeed, as I said earlier, the hadith of Amr ibn Harith radiyallahu anhu, and Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha of Bukhari, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam departed from this world, what did he leave behind? He had the treasures of the whole of Arabia at his disposal. Ta'if had surrendered to him, Mecca had surrendered to him, and these were two great cities, which are mentioned in the Qur'an. عَلَىٰ رَجُلٍ مِّنَ الْقَرْيَتَيْنِ عَظِيمٍ That why wasn't the Qur'an revealed to a great man of the two cities? And who are the Qaryatayn that they were speaking of the Quraysh? They said that if Allah wanted to reveal the Qur'an to someone, not an angel but a human being, He could have revealed it to a great prestigious, powerful person from either the city of Mecca or Ta'if. So these were two great cities in that region. Mecca, Ta'if. They had submitted. The Quraysh had submitted. All the surrounding tribes of Medina had submitted. Tribes as far north as Tabuk and as Aqaba had surrendered. The whole of the Arabian Peninsula was at the feet of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. People were paying homage and wealth was flowing into the coffers of Medina. And yet, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for whom the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum were willing to sacrifice everything, 
His position was such that when he left this world, Amr ibn Harith radiallahu anhu says, by Allah, he did not leave behind a single dinar or a single dirham, nor a slave, nor a maid. He only left behind his white mule, which he would ride on, a mule, and his weapons. And a piece of land, which he himself had devoted and given in charity to the traveler. And even his weapons, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says, part of that, the armor, wasn't even in his possession. It was mortgaged as a security by a Jew of Medina, from whom the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam bought 30 sa' of barley, which is about three and a half kilos, about a hundred kilos of barley. He bought a hundred kilos of barley for his wives and his family, for their food. In his final, in his final year. And he never had the money to pay this Jew, Jewish trader in Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ deposited his armor as security and mortgage by him. And in that state, Rasulullah ﷺ left this world. So the ulama, they are heirs of the messengers ﷺ. But they, the messengers did not bequeath dinar or dirham. And the ulama have not inherited dinar and dirham from the anbiya alayhim salam. They've inherited ilm. Now I was speaking earlier about the responsibility of the ulama. It's not just knowledge. Knowledge is not a currency. Knowledge is not a means of power and influence. Knowledge is not something to be abused. Knowledge must be Gained in sincerity, it must be taught in sincerity. And a scholar needs to be even more sincere than the student and seeker, far more sincere. And the scholar is in greater danger, the alim is in greater danger of perishing, and he is more on the edge. And he is in a more precarious position than others because of this immense burden that he carries with him. Because ilm can be a boon and a blessing, or it can be a burden and a curse. Those who don't possess knowledge, they won't even be guilty of some of the sins that the ulama can be guilty of. Like the concealment of knowledge. Like failure to proclaim the truth. There are certain sins which are of a greater burden and a greater responsibility on the ulama than others. So knowledge is a virtue, it's a blessing, it's a boon, but it can be a burden and a curse. There are many responsibilities that go with knowledge. And along with the position and the virtue of knowledge and the people of knowledge, there is also a commensurate responsibility. And that respond, and this is why the true ulama are those who inherit not just the ilm of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the ilm of the anbiya alayhi wasallam, but they also inherit and adopt their sunnah. They inherit and adopt their character. They inherit and adopt their whole spirit of knowledge and living. 
And they follow, truly follow in their footsteps. And of such people of ilm, not anybody who just has a title of alim has all these virtues. No. We're talking about those whom Allah refers to in the Qur'an. The people for whom Rasulullah said, the fish in the sea do istighfar. And their superiority over that worshipper is that of the full moon on the 14th night over the rest of the stars in the sky. Such pe- and such people are those of whom Allah says, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ It is only the ulama of Allah's servants who truly fear Allah. This is another topic in itself, but I wanted to mention this, lest any one of us may misunderstand that this is simply a blanket painting of great virtue of the ulama. No. In fact, in the Holy Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah says, recite to them the story of that one, whom we had given our signs. This was one of the ulama of the people of the past, one a great scholar. A man of great knowledge and signs. Allah bestowed great ilm on him. But he failed in his duty. It's a long story. So Allah describes him in the following terms. Relate to them the story of that one whom we had given our signs. But he slipped out of those signs. He extracted himself from that knowledge. So shaitan made him follow him. And he became of the wayward. And if we wish, we could have raised him and elevated his position through these signs and through this knowledge that we had given him. But but rather he clung to the earth, to the dunya. And he followed his soul and his desire, his nafs. So what became of him? Allah says, his example, فَمَثَلُهُ كَمَثَلِ الْكَلْبِ His likeness is the likeness of a dog. إِن تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْهِ يَلْهَثْ أَوْ تَتْرُكْهُ يَلْهَثْ If you attack it, it still lolls out its tongue and pants. And even if you leave it alone, it still lolls out its tongue and pants. So Allah compares a man of great knowledge. Allah describes him in these words. Because he, along with the privilege of knowledge, there is a commensurate responsibility. And in another verse of the Qur'an, Allah describes another group of people who were given knowledge. But they did not carry the responsibility and the burden of that knowledge. So Allah says, what is their example? كَمَثَلِ الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُ Like, Their likeness is the likeness of a donkey with tones and volumes of books on its back. Two animals. Allah describes people of knowledge. So in the Holy Quran you find descriptions of the people of knowledge. Either being those whom Allah includes as those who testify along with the angels and Allah to the oneness of Allah. 
Allah speaks of the people of knowledge as those whom Allah elevates in ranks and in grades. Allah speaks of the people of knowledge as those who are the only ones who truly fear Allah. Allah speaks of the people of knowledge in those terms. But Allah also speaks of the people of knowledge in terms of them being like animals. So both, yes, those who fulfill the responsibility and the duty of their knowledge, they are the ones whom Allah praises. And whom Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa praises, and they are the ones who are being referred to in this noble hadith. And the ones who fail in their duty, they are the ones whom Allah describes as people who have been given knowledge, but who failed in their duty of that knowledge. And Allah describes them in them in such derogatory terms. And they are not included in the virtues of this hadith. I'll end with this. Let me relate the hadith again. Sayyidina uh, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relates in his musnad that Kathir ibn Qais says, I was seated with Abu Darda in the masjid of Damascus when a man came to him from Medina and said to him, Oh Abu Darda, I have come to you from the city of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Abu Darda said to him, What brings you here? He said, I have heard that you relate a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Abu Darda said to him, Have you come for any? Trade, tijara? He said, no. He said, have you come for any any of the need? He said, no. He said, has anything else brought you here from Medina to Damascus? He said, no. So he said, verily, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ I have heard Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say. مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا Whoever treads a path, seeking knowledge therein, Allah carries him along the path to Jannah. And verily, the angels spread their wings out of pleasure, or in pleasure, for the students and the seeker of ilm, knowledge. وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْتَغْفِرُ لِلْعَالِمِ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ حَتَّى الْحِيْتَانُ فِي الْمَاءِ And indeed, those who are in the heavens and the earth, even the fish in the sea, they seek forgiveness on behalf of the scholar of the alim. وَفَضْلُ الْعَالِمِ عَلَى الْعَابِدِ كَفَضْلِ الْقَمَرِ عَلَى سَائِرِ الْكَوَاكِبِ And the virtue and the superiority of the alim over the worshipper, the scholar over the worshipper, is the superiority of the full moon over the rest of the stars, over all the stars. Indeed, the ulama, they are the heirs of the prophets. They have not inherited dinar or dirham. Rather, they have only inherited ilm, knowledge. So whoever seizes it, whoever takes it, he has taken, he has seized a great share, a full share. I pray, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who embark on this journey 
and voyage of knowledge in sincerity. May Allah make us amongst the students of knowledge and the keepers and the carriers of knowledge. May Allah include us amongst the ulama that Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam have praised. May Allah bless us and adorn us. May Allah bless us with the ilm of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam and adorn us with the amal of that ilm. وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونطلب إليك. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one. Double seven one three triple seven, or by email via sales at akstore dot com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting, or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.